everyone. I'm Sherry Carney, and I'm a practicing attorney in California representing victims of child sexual abuse. I'm also a survivor. And this is Roar with Sherry, all things justice for women and survivors. You can find us on our social media at Roar is One. Yes, that's the number one. And at Sherry Carney and on our website, RoarIsOne.org. I've spent over 30 years surviving child sexual abuse, rape, incest, campus sexual assault. And if there's one thing I've learned, it's this. Our greatest gift can be found in our greatest trauma. Our trauma, our pain, cuts through to our inner core and reveals the magic within. And that once survivors find their voice, begin their healing journey, and come out the other side, there is no stopping us. That from trauma comes resilience and healing. You are fearless, brave, strong, courageous, magnificent, and I love you. I want this to be a podcast that's real, unpolished, gritty, honest, and reflects both the pain and purpose that comes from being a survivor. We will always ask, what happened to you? What have you experienced? What have you lived through? What have you survived? What is your story? And what must be done to bring you healing, closure, and yes, justice? The purpose of this podcast is raw emotion, our stories, inspiration, perspiration, and ultimately power through justice for survivors. Each episode will include conversations with guests who inspire me, offer insight into the law, help survivors find justice, victim stories, and life-changing transformations. People who are teaching me, challenging me, and inspiring me to move forward. I'll also have direct conversations with you about what I'm learning from survivors and experts that may help you break silence, speak out, find your purpose, seek and receive justice. So we'll do some episodes dedicated to answering your questions. You are not alone. This is your safe home for open, honest, provocative conversations about the dark secrets 81% of us have experienced, but don't talk about. You do not have to walk this path of life by yourself. You are not alone. We are here and we will roar as one. All things justice for women and survivors with you. I'm Sherry Carney. Welcome. In this episode, I'm talking with Cherie Ben-Joseph, licensed clinical social worker, co-founder of the Kids Safe Foundation. Cherie is an activist and rainmaker with an intense passion for empowering children in order to keep our kids safe and so they can develop into healthy, productive adult members of the community. She works with community leaders, kids, parents, guardians, foster care systems, and child-serving professionals to improve defining the ever-changing issues around protecting children. The Kids Safe Foundation is a 501c3, and she believes that children require appropriate, age-appropriate tools and skills to stay safe. With Kids Safe Foundation, personal safety, and smart decision-making education, children learn to recognize their feelings 
to go to their safe adults and to speak assertively when they feel uncomfortable. Since 2009, Kids Safe Foundation has empowered over 60,000 children with personal safety education, but they do more than protect them from sexual abuse. And because children need educated and aware protectors, they have taught over 50,000 grownups how to keep their kids safe. And I'll give you an example. Pornhub is the 10th most visited site in the world, has 113 million downloads a day of child sexual abuse and child pornography. There is more child sexual abuse, stalking, blackmailing of children through fear of their sexual images being circulated on the Internet. So it's an ever changing arena of keeping our kids safe. So just as technology changes, so must those of us protecting our kids so that the next generation can live healthy, productive, trauma-free lives. Cherie's mission is to keep our kids safe and free from sexual abuse and exploitation. And she says it is attainable. She says we teach children to recognize their feelings, to go to their safe adults, to speak assertively when they're uncomfortable. They're both fun not fearful, interactive education that they can be taught what's that they have a right to safety. What does safety mean? And that there is strength and support in asking for help. Thank you for being here, Cherie. But before we get started, I want to tell you just a little bit more about our podcast guest, uh, Cherie Ben-Joseph. She is a native of New York. She received her MSW from Boston University. Um, Presently, she is chief program officer, and Cherie works with community leaders to improve defining, again, the ever-changing issues around protecting our children and keeping them safe. She is the co-author of two children's books, including My Body is Special and Belongs to Me. And again, the Kids Safe Foundation is dedicated to keeping kids safe through prevention education programs that they created to prevent sexual abuse, bullying, internet safety issues, and abduction. And Cherie and Sally, the two co-founders, are two moms on a mission to keep all kids safe. So I'm very proud to introduce this energetic, caring woman who has worked to keep our kids safe. Hi, Sherry. Thanks Hi, for having Cherie. me. So glad you're here. I am so excited to be on your podcast. I love what you do and your voice, and I'm excited to share today with you. Thank you. So I wanted to start with this. You have a passion for protecting children and ensuring that they grow up safe. Where did this passion come from? What got you started on this road? I have a number of different moments in my life that defined my path. And I'm going to be, I'm, I'm, I came into this podcast today ready to share with you from my heart. And so I'm going to take you a little bit on my journey of how that happened. Okay. I have always loved to work with children. And I started working with children as a, as a teenager, you know, or even younger as a babysitter, you know, so I've always loved to work with children. Um, but I had a couple of moments when I was uh, studying to be an educator, which was my first love. Um, that defined, wow, these kids can't learn if they don't get mental health and wellness help and help with life. Mm -hmm. So I had one situation where a little boy in first grade literally mimicked snorting cocaine across his desk. Mm -hmm. So it was the 1980s, 
Mm-hmm. I was, you know, in, in teacher mode and I thought, oh my goodness. And I looked at my, my, uh, my mentor who was in the room with me and I said, did you see that? And she said, I did. And I said, do you understand what that was? And she did not. And so I explained it to her. And so she would have missed it anyway. Wow. And I said, how can we help little Johnny? No wonder he's misbehaving and having so much difficulty. He's obviously dealing with difficulty in his home. Right. Et cetera. So that was the beginning of saying, wow, kids can't learn and kids can't be present, fully present to be educated if they don't feel safe, if they're not in a safe environment. And this was almost really talking about trauma before we had a word for it. Called trauma or trauma informed. And it's just like kids yeah. can't learn if they're hungry or they're not getting exactly. sleep or they're exactly. not having proper nutrition. You're absolutely right. And mental exactly. health gets exactly. so ignored in this formula. We're very worried about feeding children. We understand nutrition, uh, you know, an educated mind, a, a mind that can learn as a mind well fed. We understand, yes. but we don't address the mental health issues and the trauma children are experiencing, which also blocks learning. Right. So then as a group, I'm in this, I'm in the same classroom the same year and we're watching the challenger and we've done all this science information and we've done all these projects with the kids and we're now watching it live and it blows up. Oh no, which no one expected. Oh no. No no one expected. And so the teachers all ran into the hallway they're oh. sobbing. They under, you know, they understand the magnitude of it. And I'm, I'm told to go back into my classroom and explain to the children what happened. And this was like a pivotal moment for me. I sat on the rocking chair. You can picture it. I sat on the rocking chair. The kids were on the carpet. There's a TV on a cart. And I told, I, to, to the best of my ability, at the young age I was, I was in my early 20s, you know, I explained to them what happened. And after that, I decided, uh, no, I'm not meant to teach math. I'm not meant to teach reading. I'm meant to teach about life mm-hmm. and, and about life skills and feelings and, and, and how to get through those tough, those tough times. And I ended up going into um, social work. I went, mm-hmm. went back for a new degree wow, and I ended right. up going into social work. It was during my years in social work school that I really came to the realization that I was a survivor of abuse. I had stuffed it down so far that I really didn't understand how it was impacting my life choices, my relationships. Now we all know about ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, and how those experiences uh, impact a child throughout their well, life. We don't all know that because I still think society's struggling with, you know, what is the impact of childhood trauma, physical abuse, sexual abuse? You know, you're in the profession, you're yes. calling it ACEs. I never heard of that, honestly. And, okay. and the question well, is, let's talk about it then, you know, that I don't important... think we all know the adverse okay. impact. And, and I think it's interesting for you to point out that if you were sexually abused as a child, that that trauma or memory may not surface. How old were you when it surfaced? Uh, Really, I was in uh, my early 20s. Which you're lucky. That's pretty fast. That's pretty fast. But I didn't have a context for it. I didn't have a word for it. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand that there was a thing exactly called child sexual abuse Mm -hmm. or assault I just knew that things had happened to me along the way 
that were really clouding my ability to be fully present as a human being and live life in a healthy way. How did you know that? Because one of well, the I things- was in social, I was in social, social work school, school. And, and, and was, were people telling you, you don't trust, or you're not communicating well, or you have problems no, with closeness. How did that yeah. happen? Because I went a lot longer than that without realizing anything. Gotcha. Gotcha. I think because I was literally taking courses that were discussing some of these issues and I, and, and they always joke around when you go into um, psychology and you take psych- psychology courses that when you take abnormal psychology class, like the course, abnormal you think you have everything, you think you have everything. Okay. <laughs> right. So, you think I, you have schizophrenia. You it, think you are bipolar. You think everything. you are manic depressed. You just think you have yes. everything. So in some my, ways, my mother's a I social was, worker. So, I, oh, you know. okay. so in some ways I was thinking the same way because right. I'd already taken that abnormal psych class right. earlier on you were in my, thinking, under, in my oh, Oh, now I have this. Right. But then um, Mm. issues started surfacing. Like I had, you know, I had memories of things, but I didn't realize how wrong they were. And I didn't realize how they had actually, uh, how they had stayed with me and how they were impacting the choices I was making and the relationships I was having, particularly, you know, intimate relationships. I was not making good choices, you know, and those, those types of things. Okay, hold on a second. um, I want to stop you there. Sorry to interrupt you. So many people take, all of us take so long, Cherie, to connect these dots. I mean, you know, they say the average age people connect the dots is age 52 for statutes of limitation purposes. So what, how, I mean, you had memories. How were you able to connect these dots? And just give us an example of a couple of dots for our listeners to connect because they're thinking, wow, maybe Sheree is me. Maybe I haven't connected the dots yet because a lot of people have troubled relationships. A lot of people have issues with alcohol, drugs. A lot of people have intimacy issues, sexuality issues, trust issues for a variety of. So how did you connect the dots? What was the aha moment? If you know. Yes. So there wasn't an aha moment per se, but but there was a time period where I did a lot of reading of whatever was out there at the time, because there wasn't a lot of books written about it, but there were, there was, oh gosh, I wish I could remember the name, a famous book written by women. Courage to um, Heal? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I know it well. The Courage yes. to Heal. I was listed and interviewed for the book. Yes. Fabulous okay. book. Laura so, Davis. And yes. So yes. I found that book. I Fabulous. got my hands on that oh book when God. I was in the grad school. That was period. a pioneering work. Pioneering mm-hmm. and such a part of my healing journey. And I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't um, do, I didn't find my voice, which is what I teach children and families mm-hmm. to do. I didn't now look, you know, this is 2020 hindsight. I don't feel like I found my voice until I was in my Mm forties. So I I knew, I knew what my, I knew that I had a history. Uh, I was sexually assaulted by a coworker when I was 17, who was probably like 25 years older than me. So there were a lot of different things. I was sexually abused by a family member earlier before that. And I feel like all these uh, things set me up like sort of a snowball effect Mm -hmm. that once something happened when I was very young, and I had a situation that happened in day camp prior to that. So these things are the secrecy that I was keeping all of these things inside because I didn't think you, I didn't know you could tell. And I didn't have the words to tell. I didn't have a vocabulary to explain to someone 
that something happened at day camp that day. Were you able to tell your parents, like people say to me, why weren't you able to tell a family member or a loved? I mean, it's like victim blaming in a certain way. Some of the people we've had on this show have said they didn't tell their parents because they didn't want their parents to be disappointed in them or they didn't want to have a cloud over their perfect image. I had a reason, you know, why I couldn't tell my parents and I, you know, tried and it was backfired. Was there any trusted adult? All of those reasons that you just described are very, very real. In my case, which was one of the ones you didn't list, I thought I was going to get in trouble. Wow. Mm -hmm. And I was such a good girl. I was like such a good girl. And so I really thought I was going to get in trouble. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And And I was in day camp and I was sitting on the grass playing spit with my little girlfriend, you know, and we were close to where our, our bunk group was, but we weren't with them. But there was, this was the seventies and there was a lot of freedom. It was very different right. than what it would be right. today. And so we're just playing spit and a man walked up to us and exposed himself. We were sitting in the grass. So his, can I say what it, Absolutely. Can I use anything I want? So anything his you want. penis was in our faces oh. and he didn't touch us and we didn't touch him. We were frozen, you know, so fight, flight, freeze. Okay, so we were frozen. He then just probably got his jollies by our fear factor and he ran off. Now, 2020 hindsight, I look back and now I realize that I'm sure that was a teenager. Mm -hmm. Okay, not not an adult at the camp. I mean, could it have been? Yes, but I'm sure now my mind is like it was a teenager. But my little friend and I looked at each other and said, oh, my God, you know, what are we going to do? And we literally did the cut the, the finger thing and swear on blood that we wouldn't tell a soul. Oh. And I carried the secret around like a weight. And that's a small secret. Like, that's not a, you know, we have a lot of other secrets that are much worse. But I carried around like a weight on my shoulders. And that's part of the impetus that started you know, in my mind, when I started working as a a school social worker later on in in life, that those little secrets that we start back then in our childhood are our adult baggage. Mm. So when I'm talking to adults Mm. in a room or on a Zoom, Mm -hmm. I say to them, you know, all those secrets you kept, all those burdens that were weighing on your shoulders, look around you and look, visualize the suitcases that you walked into this meeting with that you dragged all over the place. And we want children, I I say to parents, we want them to unload those secrets right away and understand that they don't have to keep this stuff inside. But we have to teach our children and our adults, we have to teach our adults first, how to be approachable, accessible parents or guardians. And that's a skill that we weren't taught or our parents and didn't think, necessarily have. I still think parents struggle with it. I mean, the kind of mm-hmm. things, Cherie, like you can tell me anything. Is everything all right? Those are not the kind of questions likely to elicit some of the secrets. And I think it's very interesting you talk about secrets as being sort of the burden that carries on as baggage. But I'm also wondering this. Do those secrets we carry with us make us more vulnerable to predators? In other words, predators like and our listeners have heard me say this many times. Predators can call out the weakest 
uh, uh, easiest prey in the pack. And I'm wondering if the children carrying more secrets, boundary crossings, parents divorcing, arguments are more because I don't think it's an accident that first, you know, you're you're sexually abused in the home. You're exposed on the schoolyard. Then you're 17. Almost every survivor of incest and child sexual abuse that I've ever spoken to, it has not ended with their childhood. They're Correct. sexually assaulted so, on a college campus. They're harassed. Right. So there work. is and research. me too. Yeah. The, so yeah, what, there is research that says if a person has been uh, sexually abused in their childhood, mm-hmm. that the chances of them being abused again in their childhood increases. So some people who are not in the field and have no mercy will say, no mercy, well, didn't right. they know? Didn't they know better? You know, how did they jump? You know, how did they end up falling back into that trap? Victim blaming. Well, right. Yes. Victim blaming. But the reality is the it, it changed sexual abuse at a young age, at any age, changes the way we think. It changes the way we feel. It changes the way we process problems and et cetera. So it we changes the way vulnerable. we move. Yeah, it changes the 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 body and the way we move physically, because I swear predators like when I look down the street or in a supermarket, I can tell you a which adults have been sexually abused as children, which children are currently being sexually abused. There is like a different movement or a different body language. And I think that's really critical. No, that's really interesting. I haven't read any research on that, but I will say that one of my, I I have a few books that are Bibles, right? In this, in this world, in this field. And one of them is the body keeps the score. Yes. I just, Chris, our producer just got me that for my birthday, which I adore. (laughs) And I love, I love and adore her, but it's fabulous. After you read it, let's have a whole nother conversation. I've read part of it already and it, I, it's, it's blowing my socks off. It, it blows your socks off. But that muscle memory, let's mm-hmm. call it that for keep, keep it simple, that muscle memory about, uh, about, you know, what has happened to you in your body and how you hold the tension mm-hmm. in your body in various places is very real. And so therefore it could affect, I know for me, it affects my posture. It affects some of my, it affects my hips. It it has a physical memory to it. And I do yoga and I do Tai Chi because that's how I work through a lot of that stuff. And it's phenomenal. But, you know, going back to what you were saying before, there was a really important point that I wanted to make. About the physicality of the body keeping the score. so, So there there's offenders can spot the weak link in a group of children okay mm-hmm. or in a family or in the uh the bible study after care sunday group or they are people we usually 90 percent of the time know and trust they will know how to look at a group of kids and see who's the loner Who's, who wants attention? Who needs attention? Who, uh, who keeps secrets? These are all the vulnerabilities of children. So what we do at KidSafe is I looked at that list of vulnerabilities and I said, how can I flip that list and now teach kids a strength to counter that issue? 
So if they're secret keepers, which all children love to keep secrets, our society is raised that way. So that's part of it. What can I teach? How can I teach children concretely on an age appropriate level that there's there's good secrets and there's bad secrets and what the difference between the two is and give them permission to report bad secrets. So, okay. So give me an example of a good secret as opposed to a bad secret that you would tell a seven-year-old. Excellent. Great. So very simply, the grown-up says to the child, seven-year-old, let's go to the store and you're going to pick out a present for your sibling. Mm-hmm. And we're going to wrap it. We're going to put it in the closet. Mm-hmm. And then on Friday, you're going to be able to give it to your brother. That is a good secret. Why? Everyone is happy to keep it. It has an ending to it. There's a time limit on it. Mm-hmm. And if it gets blown and the accidentally the kid you know, gives up the information, it's inconsequential. No big deal. Okay, that when that child is holding that secret, they feel proud, they feel excited, they feel happy. Okay, I'm giving you a very basic Mm -hmm. children version of feelings. That's a good secret. On the opposite end, we have a bad secret. A bad secret could be many different things. And we want children to talk with their grownups about all these things. A bad secret could be they saw something on the internet that scared them. And that could be anything. There could be a ton of different things, right? They, um, they're getting bullied. Mm -hmm. Uh, They feel lonely and they have no friends. Mm -hmm. Someone made them feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Someone touched them inappropriately. Yeah. Someone showed them something inappropriate. Uh, Something's going on with the health of grandma and all the adults are upset and talking about it, but nobody's sharing with the child what's going on. That's a burden for that child, right? Without you know, a doubt. So that's a family secret. Or there's domestic but, violence in the family. That's where I'm going. That's where I'm okay. going. The okay. child sees mm-hmm. uh, things going on in the home, domestic violence. They have no place to put that. Fighting. Uh, a child doesn't know if when they come home from school that night, if their parent is going to be in the kitchen baking cookies and dinner, or if they're going to be out cold from drug abuse on the couch. Mm-hmm. So these are all secretive burdens that our children today and forever have been dealing with in some way, shape or form. And they show up to school with all of this baggage and then they're asked to learn. Right. So that's why it's so important that we are building in much more social emotional learning. And what we do at Stay Kids Safe it, with the Stay Kids Safe program is it's a social emotional learning program. But the schools are embracing that healthier kids will be more apt to be able to be better learners. So the bad secret are all of those types of things. And, the, the, and it's not just the you better not tell type secret, because mm-hmm. so often we think it's the bad guy saying to the kid, you better not tell. Nobody directly said to me, you better not tell. Right. I just knew in, you know, internally by their behavior, I was getting the message that there's something reason I can't talk about this. Here's something that worries me. And you've said something very profound. What worries me 
is the grooming process. Hmm. So one of the things that many victims talk about and that we talk about at Rora's One is grooming, where it feels good in the beginning. You're special. The coach is taking you for ice cream. He's volunteered to drive you privately. You don't have to take the bus where the kids are shrieking and screaming and being mean to you. And, and you're special. And he, he starts to harbor and tell you how great your, your, your sports skills are. And I'm the only one in the world that truly believes in you. So what happens? That's the secret I'm the most worried about because it feels like a good secret until it's payday. And now he is requiring some sort of sexual services, uh, pleasure in exchange for all of those good things that he's done for you. How do you get that? How do you talk about grooming without making simple human kindness look predatory? Yes. And it is such an important challenge and discussion. So first of all, let's go to the adult portion of this Mm -hmm. before we get to the kid portion. We as adults in our society, as parents, as educators, as anyone who works in a child serving organization, yeah. We need to learn what does the grooming uh, you know, pattern look like in all of these different types of settings. And all the things you just described, Shari, is the story right there. It's, it, it happens over time. It's not usually a one-day event. It happens Correct. over time. It could be months. It could be even Sandusky groomed his kids for years before he abused them. Okay, It is manipulative. And while they're grooming the child, doing all of these lovely niceties, they are also grooming the parents. And the community. And the community. And the community. So they are gaining the trust, depending on what role they play in the, in the community. A police or in the officer. Family. Let's a say a officer, priest. A, a minister. Teacher, a a yeah, coach. Someone. A doctor. A team uh, sports the, doctor. The, neighbor, the, the team neighbor down the street. You know, your best, your best friend, your best friend, period, could be the person who, who is grooming it. Right. Right. Yeah. So what we, what we teach is that for the younger children is that there's a difference between a safe touch and an unsafe touch and understanding how you feel regarding being comfortable with someone. And then all of a sudden feeling, listening to your inner body and all of a sudden feeling, oh, that was, that, that didn't give me that great feeling anymore. Or a person asking, asking you to watch something that makes you feel uncomfortable or you know is wrong based on your family's rules, right? Those are things that we want kids, very young kids to just get, oh, this is something I was told and taught that I can go to someone in my circle of safe adults and talk to them about Okay, here's so what I'm worried young, about. That's the young thing. What I'm worried about the most, and we're on the same page, is what I've seen from kids that are groomed is the grooming is so deep and so complex and so layered that it's yeah. almost cult-like. They can't get out once they're yeah. in. And so, a perfect example is Laura Dern's character playing yeah. Jennifer Fox in HBO's The Tale. If you want to really see what grooming looks like, that really 
help me even understand grooming and understand that I was groomed, which I would never have said before. So how do you save a child who's already so layered into that cult trap? So before the whole idea is that we need to catch the grooming process during the grooming process. Correct. Okay. That's number one. That is number one. How do you do that? Well, the parents, so what I say to parents, and this is going to sound a little quirky, but no. I really, I really believe it. I say to parents, if something feels or seems too, too good, good to be true, it probably is. Like I, and say if to- someone wants, and if someone wants to spend more time with your children, yes, than you want to, that's a red flag. So I'm so wh- glad you're saying that because. I mean, I people ch- think, well, I want to, I want to add to this though, because people think that I'm a, um, they say, oh, you're tainted tree because you've had this experience and that the world isn't all bad and you know, blah, blah, blah. I, I understand that, but I'm telling you with the statistics, the way they are, there's a very high chance that your child will be sexual, sexually abused by the age of 18. Without a doubt. And if there are things that you can do yep. to prevent that. Well, hello, don't turn a blind eye. So let's go to another book, another really good book that talks about this. The Gift of Fear mm-hmm. by Gavin DeBecker. I know right? Gavin DeBecker. Oh, well, okay. Gavin so saved my life. So oh, Gavin's oh. a great guy. I mean, Gavin, okay. thank you. So you quote so Gavin because he is as trustworthy okay. as they come. This guy so, gets predators right. like so nobody Gavin, does. Yeah, so Gavin, I read his book, I don't know. It, it was a long time ago. It must have been in the 90s when it first came out. Right. And it literally, it became a Bible for me. Once again, another chapter in the healing process for me but it was also so educational and so empowering, the gift of fear. And right now he's launching a, a masterclass on the gift of fear. And I, I had the opportunity to work with him on that project. He's so wonderful. He's say hello wonderful. to him for me. Tell him he saved I, my life and I love him. I will. I will. Well, <laughs> I'm actually going to suggest that he comes on your podcast. So we'll, I would we'll love see, to have we'll him. We'll see what happens. He's amazing. I thought he was doing security for Jeff Bezos. He's doing security all the time, but his passion is, is really impacting the lives of everyday people that, you know, tapping into people's understanding that they have intuition that they're mm-hmm. that they have within themselves ways that they can keep themselves safe. And so what I try to say to parents, which is the same, you know, he, and he talks to parents as well is you have it in you to protect your children. But mm-hmm. if you, if you don't believe that these things can happen, then you will miss all of the signs. You're exactly right. And I think that's where denial comes in. We might believe that one in three girls and one in five boys are sexually abused before the age of 18, generally by someone they know or trust. But parents think not my children. I'm always with them. I ask them. My children can tell me everything. None of that is true, by the way. None of that is true. So you you raised a point, Cherie, that, you know, what adult wants to spend time with children that aren't their parents. I mean, I I hate to be so uh, blanket about this, but I don't see a a 43-year-old male really wanting to spend time with screaming, shouting, arguing, crying, whining, demanding children 
unless he's going to get something out of it. Okay. I don't so know another, if that another... necessarily applies to grandmothers, but I could be right. wrong. But there are, you know, if you've got like, like a friend of mine has an uncle that keeps coming over and spending time with his children. And I said, it's really, you got to check into this. Something doesn't feel okay. right. So, so here's what I say to that. We have to talk to the people who are around our children from mm-hmm. a very young age about our philosophy at home. Mm-hmm. Here's our family's philosophy. We're teaching our children about their personal safety. So just like we teach them uh, to be polite, we're also teaching them that they don't always have to be polite and that there's healthy boundaries. Mm-hmm. And we're teaching them about sexual abuse prevention without using those words per se, but what's okay, not okay, and when to come with me and what the, you know, and, and the, we teach our, even our babysitter they're not to bathe the children. You know, it depends on the age group and all. But right. you know, in our house, we'll bathe the children before we leave. Right. There's no reason for them to do that, et cetera, et cetera. And setting up safe boundaries so that you have an eyeball to eyeball conversation with an uncle like that and say, I'm teaching my kids about their safety, their personal safety. I read them the book, My Body Special Belongs to Me. We talk about this all the time. They know the proper names for their body parts. Yes. So if someone crosses that line, they can come to me and tell me about it. Mm. Like basically saying to a predator or potential predator, if you do do something, I will find out about it. One of the things, Cherie, that drives me crazy is that where an adult doesn't come to terms with their own childhood sexual abuse or sexual assault, they marry predators, their children get victimized. It goes on for like five generations. I always say what we don't confront, we repeat. It's like they pass on the pain that they couldn't process to their children. And so how do you take a victim herself who hasn't come to terms with her own abuse and teach her how to protect her child? Tell me that because that's what I'm seeing. You know, I raised two children and Mm -hmm. I, I, I really understand what you're saying. So in the United States today, there are between 42 to 60 million adult survivors of child sexual abuse. So we are parents, we're grandparents, we're aunts and uncles to hordes of children that are being teachers, coaches, soccer, we're regular everyday people. Absolutely. And and I say to people, you might think you don't know what someone who is a survivor, but you do. Exactly. You probably even know an offender, but you probably have a greater chance of a survivor. They are your coworkers. They're your family members. They're your friends, your nieces, your cousins. And male and male, you know, we're forgetting sometimes we forget that the, you know, the, the, the up, the most up to date, if you don't want me tweaking what you said before, it's one in four girls and one in 13 boys will be sexually abused by the age of 18. When I put that down, I had male survivors call me and say, it's one in six. Well, that you're way undercounting us. It's that's based on the CDC. And I agree with them. Yeah, I agree with them because it is underreported because it's not based. Most children never report. Right. And most boys will report less often because of the the complications of a boy being abused. You know, and a boy is supposed to want sex. And if you're six and the predator's 13, well, you got lucky at age six. I mean, it's all kinds of crazy thinking. And when you look at the point of, of the fact that most of the mass 
abuse cases are males uh, are boy scouts and the church you i know, know why are, are the mass abusers I, I, are they pedophiles and they access they like and opportunity boys? access and opportunity so right, what is right. a what is an offender looking for they're looking for access and opportunity, and opportunity to abuse and so what do they do they volunteer they get involved with their kids cub scouts they become the priests scouts. they become elders priests. in the they, church you know and any religion pediatricians where there's, where there's trust you know OBGYNs. Um, and it's and so it's really the point is that anybody right. can be an offender correct and, and, and anybody can be a victim so so back going back to the survivors raising the next generation yes there's like a bell curve on how that works. So you have the parent who was a victim who is now going to be amazingly overprotective. Which is a problem that, in itself. It's a different issue, yes. but it's a problem in itself. It then you have itself. the other, on the other side of that scale of a person who was a, a victim and hasn't broached it at all. And they just their their head is in the sand and they're not going to do anything to protect their child. And that puts the child at risk in a different way. Right. And then you have people who are in their journey. And sometimes that journey can bring you to a very dark place at different yes. points in the journey. And you're re and usually you're raising your children while you're going through this journey. So yes. it, it is so important. And I, I, I implore, I beg people who are listening today to say, oh, that might be me, you know, who's, who's, who's struggling and growing and learning and digesting and trying to figure out where to leave some of this baggage, let it go, and how to, how to become the whole person that they want to be, whatever that trip is. But to, to not do it alone, mm-hmm. that reach out to support groups because they're out there. Reach mm-hmm. out to that Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. Reach out to uh, good therapists who work with trauma regarding child sexual abuse. Um, the, you know, RAIN is a really good R-A-I-N-N dot org. Another really good organization that works with adults, uh, survivors, you know, so find those resources. We can also be a resource for certain things, but if you're in therapy, go for it, stick with it. So the first thing is go to therapy. The first thing is get therapy. The first thing is to say, I don't want to pass this on to the next generation. It stops with me. And I I used to have a, a sign on my desk, my law practice desk that says the fuck stops here. (laughs) (laughs) So think about how many people get raised in a home with alcoholism. So many people, right? And they say, I am never going to marry an alcoholic. And two years into their marriage, guess who they married? Because it's difficult. It is complicated. It is psychological. And so if we don't learn about how that all, that cycle happens and we don't work to break it, we can end up in a pattern of repetition. And that's why I say, and before we take a break, that the, that the handprint of child sexual abuse lasts through five generations. That you, you know, that being silent, that expectation, that wanting to turn away from it, that wanting to avoid it, that denial, that wanting to pass it on, that somehow. Especially feel- if it's familial. 
Exactly. Especially if it's familiar, if it's a stranger or somebody that you don't have any connection to less likely. So I would like to pick up after this. We're going to take a short break. Uh, When we come back on the other side, we're going to talk about what should a parent do if they think their child is being sexually abused or groomed? Like what, what should they do? This podcast is supported by Focus for Health Foundation. Together, we are in the fight to protect children from abuse. Learn more on our social media platforms with our handle at Focus for Health or by logging onto our website at focusforhealth.org. Hi, this is Roar with Sherry, All Things Justice for Women and Survivors. Welcome back with our guest, Cherie Ben-Joseph. She's a licensed clinical social worker and co-founder of Kids Safe. And what we're going to talk about is what should you do if you think your child or child you love and care about is either being groomed for sexual abuse or is currently being sexually abused. So, Cherie, what do you think? I mean, what should a parent do who's either thinking their child may be being groomed or their child is being sexually assaulted? What do you do? So let's start with trust your instincts because the first thing parents want to do is not see it. Mm -hmm. And I don't blame them because once you Mm -hmm. see it, you can't unsee it and you have to act. Mm -hmm. And the pain of so many children over the, you know, over the years that I've spoken to the adults I've spoken to is when they reported, they weren't believed. Right. You know, parents would say, Oh, you know, Uncle Joe wouldn't do that. He loves you. You, must, you misunderstood. You, you, must, you misunderstood. Exactly. Right. exactly. You know, he's just being affectionate or, yeah. you know, especially if it's their brother, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, so first and foremost, if you're feeling it, if you're thinking it, there's a very, very good possibility that you are correct. Getting back to and, Gavin DeBecker and trust your instincts. And yes. honor that. Yes. And honor that. So, Once you're there, I'm hoping that you're already having conversations with your child about their personal safety. Because to me, teaching personal safety to your children is just like you teach them swimming and you teach them to buckle up in the the car and you teach them kitchen safety. You need to teach them personal safety. I like that. That's great. So that when the the time is coming that you think that your child might be be being groomed, there's a conversation to be had. And they get back from this person's house that you think that there might be groomed by. And you can say, how was your visit? Mm-hmm. What did you do? How did you feel? Mm-hmm. And you really need to listen to, like, look at them, read their energy, look between the lines, listen between the lines. I call, I call it listening with your third ear and watching with your third eye, you know, and, and we often know when something's wrong. But once you've had conversations with your child about the difference between a safe touch and an unsafe touch and a good secret and a bad secret, you have a family language. It's a gift. Mm-hmm. And then you could say, you know how we talk about, you know, good secrets and bad secrets. I want you to know it's really important to me that you never keep any secrets regarding your time over there at Joe's Auntie, house, you know, Auntie Joe's house, you know, right. Auntie Josephine's house. Right. And, and, and that you have the right to be safe. And if anything makes you uncomfortable, you know you can always come to me and you won't be in trouble. Right. Okay, so that's one. 
blamed like, and and you know because like parents if always feeling, say if you're feeling this you way, can come to me but they don't it, really mean it that yes and that's key you have to really be aware and I'll talk to, really I'll talk about that in a second but <laughs> Gavin says something really important he says and I, and this I I agree with 100 if you feel for a second that something's not right with a person who's spending time with your child cut it off. Right. It's like you don't need in, you don't need why, DNA why evidence to prove it. Why are you doing that? If you're not comfortable with it, that, that they, it's all That's the enough. information you need. That's that, you know, He's right. It's like you don't yeah. have to prove you're right. You don't, have, words, don't worry about being disrespectful. Don't worry about being rude. How many women have been raped in the safety of their own home because they didn't want to be rude to the person at the front door who was knocking saying, Oh, I need to check something. And how many and women have been cetera, raped on a date? Cause they felt like, well, they let yes. them kiss them. And now they have to go forward with that because they started or they're a tease or they're whatever, yes. or they can't yeah. say no. Or how many people look at what's going on with McDonald's. They're being sued for half a billion dollars for one location in Florida, because the, the younger staff is being sexually assaulted and harassed by managers and by cooks and by yeah. that. And they've complained yeah. and complained and complained. So what, what's interesting is that and you're right. Gavin's a right. gets into a situation, a, a work situation like a McDonald's, they'll bring in other people who are in the same mindset. That's interesting. And that, that will happen that. in schools. That will happen in camps. That's that will so happen in interesting. churches because it's, it's just easier. But I want to talk about, I don't, okay, I don't know, so how much how time, do I don't know we, how much time we have left. We don't have about, too much time left, but okay, how, so there's something really I mean, important parents I need to talk don't to you about. want to face this. It's a very painful face. No one wants to look at a child and think someone is hurting someone you love. But I can tell you this, when a neighbor sprinkled my dog with water and the dog came in downtrodden, I knew something was wrong. And so did my mother. But how come no one knew? Something was wrong with me or any family members. Because they put, their head the, in the, they put their head in the sand because they it's care so, more about the dog. It's so difficult to deal with. Yeah. And our systems, and you've talked a lot about this, our systems are not in place to protect the children. Correct. They're our most vulnerable population, yet they have the least rights. And you and I can go on about that a whole oh my, that's podcast. A whole- I know. That's a whole but, separate show. But, but because of that, it makes it makes it more difficult for us to report because we mm-hmm. don't feel that our family will be protected or a child will be protected. So, but I want I want to talk about some of the laws that are across our nation that are really really important about. I'm always excited about law. Okay, good, good. <laughs> so, in, in Florida, in 2019, they uh, created a mandate for child trafficking prevention education kindergarten through grade 12. It's the first one in the entire country for that particular topic. There's about 31 other states across our nation that have child sexual abuse prevention mandates of varying Like Aaron's levels. Law, version of Aaron's yes, Law. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes. And, and a lot, they're, they're all unfunded. They're, a lot of them aren't doing any checks and balances, et cetera, et cetera. But this law in Florida is powerful Mm. And we have a program in, at KidSafe called Stay KidSafe. It's a program that's geared towards schools mm-hmm. to provide this education for kindergarten through grade five. And what we love about it 
is that it empowers the staff, the, the teachers with this education while they're actually teaching it to the children. And it gives them all a language of safety, which helps create a culture of safety in our schools. Which I love because you're in Florida, correct, Sheree? I am. And I this am. is, I am so thrilled to hear that a law passed is working because we always struggle with the solutions to these problems. I don't think we struggle with the solutions. I, I know a lot of the solutions. I struggle with legislatures being willing to move forward on Implement, it. Implement. Exactly. It's not that we don't have answers. It's just like, you know, Black Lives Matter or race discrimination. We know what to do. It's getting it done right. and, and, and monitoring it and putting money where our mouths are. So yeah. talk to me about how this is working in Florida. I'm very excited to hear that. And how involved is kids safe? In this uh, Florida law that did pass in 2019 about sex trafficking. So does that also apply if a child was being sexually abused by one predator as opposed to being trafficked on the streets? Yeah. So if you think about, well, what would I teach a child in kindergarten through grade five if I have to teach them child trafficking prevention education? So we're not talking to children, just so you know, we're not talking to children in kindergarten through grade five about sex trafficking. That would be incredibly inappropriate. Correct. What we are doing is we're empowering them with protective skills against child sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. And we're giving them that language of safety. We're giving them the tools and we're, we're giving them what they will need when they head to middle school and actually start learning about sex trafficking in high school when they start learning Let me more ask about you, sex trafficking. Do parents have to sign off on their children in this program? What do you do with a parent that says, I don't want my kids to hear about body parts and sex? And, so, you know, I mean, okay, how so do you deal with right that? Right off the bat, I'm going to say, I'm just want, I want to educate you as well. <laughs> We're not talking about body parts. We're not talking about sex in K-5. Okay. We do say that all the parts of your body covered by your bathing suit are your private parts. Because predators, we say don't if they there. hear a child use sexually explicit body part, they know that kid's been educated and they lay off and go somewhere else. Yeah, well, they learn that in the sex ed department and that's important. And okay. my, I'm a anything under proponent. your bathing suit. Um, yes, yeah, uh, I mean, but I'm a huge proponent. When I talk to parents, mm-hmm. I, I implore them, teach your children the proper names for their body parts. Right. It's your arm, your leg, your finger, your penis, a vagina, your elbow, your eyeball. I mean, but the key is children who know and respect their body parts and, and have no shame and embarrassment about using the proper words are, are, are less likely to be targeted. I have heard that. And I want our listeners to hear that because it's so important. It's so simple. It is so so simple. simple. Like I've had so many clients, kids go down there. I don't know if they're talking about their feet, their shoes, their ankle, their knee, you know, he touched me down there. I mean, if they're under five, I get it, but you know, right. So the idea though, is that those words are, are so important on so many levels. If my kid has a rash on their penis on in on their uh, vulva i want my child to come to me and say i think i have a rash i'm really itchy on my vulva you don't want them to say down there in my private parts if they have a rash on their arm they're not going to be exactly it's a body part so we as adults have to do a little soul searching yep how are we raised Mm-hmm. What messages were, did we have in our family about using the proper names for body parts? And then we have to decide as grown-ups 
how are we breaking that cycle? So we will have stronger, safer, empowered so children. Under, for K through five, why don't you use body parts? Why do you have to use well, what's we under your have, bathing okay. suit? That's because from a school district point of view, okay. they each district has different laws, right. rules, Thank and policies. Okay. So we we can't go that way. Right. So I you go whatever district allows it. Right. Yes, exactly. But but the idea is that we really want parents to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. And we want the teachers to teach these life skills. It's part of social emotional learning. What do you do if the teachers don't have these skills? Do you teach the teachers so they can teach the kids? Yes. So we built this program. We took all of our, our focus and we said, we're writing these lessons. We really wrote these lessons for educators. We wrote it for teachers to make it so comfortable and easy. We're talking about using a safety voice. That's assertiveness skills. That's just part of life. You know, if if a kid is running through the classroom with a pair of scissors, this is for the little ones, uh, can a child in the classroom say, hey, hey, Steve, stop. That's not safe. Yes, they can. You know, so we're teaching them how to use their safety voice to keep themselves safe. And to keep their peers safe. Because there's no no secret why you yell fire instead of rape. So if you're a rape victim, you are taught yell fire because if you yell rape, no one's going to do a damn thing. I mean, so this is good to teach safety skills and the ability to say, I don't feel safe without having to say the building's burning down. Come rescue me. Right. And so we build in in the program kindergarten through grade five. Each year we're building on skills. And we're reading the book, My Body is Special and Belongs to Me in kindergarten through second. And by fourth grade, it's all about digital safety. There's digital safety lessons in every single grade, but there's a deep dive in fourth grade. And then in fifth grade, we'll go back to what you said before, we're teaching them how a healthy relationship, like with a coach, can turn into an unhealthy relationship. And what are the red flags? Mm-hmm. Now that's the grooming process. Right. And we're, and we're, we say to them, okay, you're going to be detectives. We're going to, sh- we're going to show you a little video vignette. We have our kids safe characters. They're 3d animations we made for each lesson. And we show them the vignette and they get to play a game of, Oh, he gave him a gift, but he told him to keep it a secret. Mm-hmm. That's a red flag. Right. Um, he showed him something that made him uncomfortable. That's a red flag. You're special. Your parents don't understand you. In our world, we understand you. Going against the family and starting to separate the kid from the people that are going to protect them. Exactly. Exactly. So so we build up. We don't just start talking about that. We give them this wonderful, empowered um, foundation. To learn this, because then, one of the things I'm really worried about is online safety, because predators have gotten very smart as posing as 13 year olds, nine year olds, eight year olds in gaming. And and one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is uh, we had on Leela Micklewaite a while back, who is trying to shut down Pornhub for child sexual abuse images. And what she said to me is the biggest uploader of child sexual abuse images are parents and caregivers. And so, you know, what do you, how are you teaching digital online safety, both bullying, both blackmailing? Like I saw someone, uh, I've spoken to someone from Pornhub who said when she was 15, she loved this 17 year old boy. He said, show me a picture of your body, of your breast, whatever. Well, she's 35 now and can't get it off of the internet. 
She right. cannot get that image down and she can't get a job. Right. So, I mean, the oh, other wow. thing about Internet safety mm-hmm. is being able to delete things on the Internet. Right now, you can't get anything off. Yeah. Yeah. And no, so how I mean, do you we, teach kids through gaming? Because that's so where a lot of tricky, predators the, are. Yeah. The trickiest part is that the children who are being raised in today's world mm-hmm. are literally handed technology before the age of one. Right. Like I see and, kids in strollers with iPads. Exactly. Or they're in, in the, the wagon at the grocery store. Exactly. And got a, a phone or an iPad or some right. game. I, in, in my, in my work at KidSafe, I have a training that I do with parents that is just about building, setting boundaries, setting healthy habits and boundaries around the online world for yourselves as well as because you're modeling for your children, right? And as well as for children. And then teaching children from a very young age that having all this technology is a privilege, not a right. And that we have to use it with respect to keep safe and that nothing is private. And therefore, as a parent from a very young age, this has to be in, you know established from, from the get-go, that as a parent, I'm going to be, on, I'm going to be part of your online life because I need to keep you safe because I wouldn't drop you off at the mall and I wouldn't drop you off in the middle of our town alone at this point, whatever age they are. I just, same thing. I won't drop you off online in the same way. How do you track your child online without, so without boundary busting? I mean, some privacy, but you know, I I don't have children, so I'm, I'm no expert. So honestly, none of us have privacy online. Correct. We really don't. We really don't. Our phone and is a tracking our, device. It's exactly, exactly. I'm not to be trying to job. sound, you know, conspiracy oriented, but no, your phone no. through GPS knows where you are at all times, what uh, yeah, sites you're right. visiting, what yeah. restaurant you've been to, what directions so you've we're asked. Up, we're up. So once again, our society has created a culture. And of course, it's it has to be it has to do bottom line with money. So they're not taking care of the users. They're taking care of the, you know, the people who are making the money. And it puts us all uh, in danger. Correct. So there are, uh, I would say to parents who are listening out there, Mm -hmm. I want them to go to another website. I love recommending websites that I respect called Common Sense Media. Common Sense Media. And they're all about online and it's all geared towards parents and tips and tricks and all these types of things, but conversation. So I'm really big in doing family meetings once a week. And when you have dinner at the dinner table, that the technology is elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Nobody brings technology to the table. Dad doesn't bring it. Mom doesn't. Nobody's working. Right. And and at a certain hour in the evening, depending on the ages of your children, including those teenagers, you've raised them in such a way that at a certain time of the evening, the, all the technology gets goes onto a table and it gets right. plugged in for, you know, to get powered right. up for the next day, but it doesn't go into the bedrooms. Right. Because I say to parents, when you give your child a computer, a, 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 a tablet, a phone, and it's in the bedroom, you're now putting, potentially putting a stranger in the bedroom with your child. Would you correct? You wouldn't. So, correct. so think about it that way. And yes, it's convenient. As a babysitter, like our parents use TVs, you know, as babysitters. Correct. 
I don't think t- children should have TVs in their bedrooms either. They should have books. No. <laughs> well, you or, and I are on the same page on that. And you love my parents. Old fashioned they people, thought television you know? was the end of, you know, brain power and creativity. I don't think I had a television in our own home till I was like 10 or 11, something like yeah. that. I mean, they and really thought say, TV was the devil for yeah, learning, yeah. creativity, <laughs> being interesting, yeah. you know, having well, a if, mind, thinking for yourself. If, if they could only see it now, right? Exactly. And I mean, if now. you weren't reading a book, you were put to work doing something else because you were wasting yeah. your time. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. I always close with a question and we're getting to the end of the show. One final question. If you were talking to a child who is in danger of being sexually abused, what would you say to help them to prevent the abuse from happening? What's a little bit of advice? If you really have a strong feeling uh, the child is acting and indicating that they're worried they're going to be sexually abused. What, what, how do you help them? That would be an unusual situation to be in. As, a, as an adult, because you don't usually know. But mm. if I had a child in front of me and I was mm-hmm. concerned for their safety and I just had like a, a weird, Sixth sense. you know, yeah, I would uh, send them the message often, your body is special and belongs to you. And if any, at any time you feel are made uncomfortable, you're being asked to do, see, look at anything that makes you uncomfortable, know that you have the right to be safe. You have the right to say no, and you have the right to report that to anybody. Tell someone. And if that person doesn't listen, because we know that they don't all listen or they don't all understand because the kid doesn't always say it the way we would expect them to say it as an adult, you keep on telling until somebody listens. That is great advice. I am so grateful that you're here with us today for this conversation. The more we understand the impact child sexual abuse has on our kids, the more we can do to prevent it, the more education we can have like kids safe so that our children can lead healthier and fuller lives. The more we talk about it, the more we can educate kids and adults to prevent child sexual abuse. Recovery from it is a lifelong journey. If we can prevent it, We can save millions of trauma survivors from depression, anxiety, suicide, drug addiction, addiction, lost opportunities, health impacts, and the plethora of damages child sexual abuse causes. The more we understand and talk about it, the more we can prevent it from happening. We can stop the grooming stages once parents and child serving professionals, schools, and others implement prevention like Cherie was talking about the safer we can all be and the more connected we can be. It was wonderful to get a chance to talk to Cherie Ben-Joseph about keeping our kids safe and preventing our children from being sexually abused so they can grow up to be healthy and happy and have normal relationships. Cherie, where can listeners find more information about the Kids Safe Foundation? Wonderful. Thank you. So go to KID, K-I-D, safe safe foundation.org and or you can go to learn dot kid safe foundation.org and at both of those you get uh, the kids safe foundation.org website you're going to get parent resources and a parent paid blogs videos etc and at the learn foundation.org you'll learn about state kids safe And I want to do a special thank you to our podcast sponsor, Focus for Health, that's made this podcast possible. Uh, We we love love them. We do love them. They are the 
best. Uh, we'd also love to hear from you. So email us at info at roaras1.org. Yes, that's the number one. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at roaras1, number one, or at Sherry Carney. As long as you all know and want you to know that the, all the Roaras One podcasts with Sherry are loaded on the roaras1.org website. We'd like for you to donate to victims of child sexual abuse at www.roaras1.org forward slash donate forward slash. And thank you to our listeners. I am so grateful you were here spending your time with us today. Stay brave and kind. And remember, you can survive and thrive, I promise. And always speak up, stand up, and fight for yourself and for those who can't fight for themselves yet, who need you as their superhero and to be the advocate you are for justice. This podcast is supported by Focus for Health Foundation. Together, we are in the fight to protect children from abuse. Learn more on our social media platforms with our handle at Focus for Health or by logging onto our website at focusforhealth.org. Thank you. Stay safe and know that I love you. Roar with Sherry, All Things Justice for Women and Survivors is hosted by me, Sherry Carney, attorney at law, produced by Chris Pedretti, sound engineered by the awesome Ronan Rosner, and music by the amazing Sharon Gatow. Roar with Sherry, All Things Justice for Women and Survivors is an educational program of Roar as One, Inc., a 501c3 nonprofit. We'd love to hear from you. Please follow us on our social media at Roar as One and at Sherry Kearney and go to our website, RoarAsOne.org. And as you know, all the Roar with Sherry podcasts have episode pages on RoarAsOne.org and we will give you all the guests and all our social media handles on the website, RoarAsOne.org. Roaras One Inc. owns the copyright in and to all content in and transcripts of the Roar with Sherry, All Things Justice for Women and Survivors podcast with all rights reserved, including right of publicity. Sherry Carney, the host of Roar with Sherry, All Things Justice for Women and Survivors, is a survivor and practicing attorney in California representing victims of child sexual abuse, sexual assault, and sexual harassment. Even though Sherry Carney is a licensed practicing attorney in the state of California, practicing in the areas of child sexual abuse, sexual assault, and sexual harassment, this podcast is intended for informational purposes only. There is no expectation of confidentiality, and it is not intended, nor should it be construed as legal advice. For legal advice, you should seek competent legal counsel. If you're interested in speaking to Carney's law practice, they can be reached at carneyadvocates.com. Please note that Carney Law is owned by Sherry Carney. Carney is the founder of Roar as One. Roar as One is a nonprofit. Carney Law is a law firm, and they are otherwise unaffiliated. The nonprofit Roar as One is providing this podcast as a public service and is informational only. It is neither legal advice, legal interpretation, legal representation, or a statement of policy. Reference to any specific guest, product, or opinion by the host or guest does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by Roras One Inc., Sherry Carney, She Heroes Production Inc., the producers or our sponsor. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent and is purely voluntary. Well, we-